sin of Adam. And this is going to cover the second portion of verse number 6 tonight. But I want to read verses 1 through 6 just to kind of help us out where we're at. And tonight we're going to be focusing in on Adam's failures. Now I want you to know we're going to be focusing in a lot as well about a lot of the sort of manhood things and, and how Adam failed in such a way. But ladies, that does not get you off the hook, all right? We're, we're talking about everybody here tonight, but certainly how we have sinned in Adam. But um, we're going to see how Eve had, had fallen. We looked at that last week. We're going to kind of pick back up with that and then look at Adam's failure and how the two together made such a mess of not just their lives, but everybody's lives. So if you want to blame high gas prices on anybody, Blame Adam. <laughs> had sin never came into the world, we wouldn't have, have, got, uh, have high gas prices. Huh? No. Um, tonight, let's look here. Verse number one tells us, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. The serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. And here's going to be our key tonight. And gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Let's pick up here tonight as we look at the silence and sin of Adam. At the first portion here, to remember Adam's role. This is going to help us with the whole context of this whole thing. If you remember back to Genesis chapter 2, we dealt specifically with the garden, how God had formed uh, and fashioned Adam and breathed uh, life into him, creating him a, a living soul. He had given him roles and responsibilities. First and foremost, it was you know, given to, uh, in verse 15 of chapter 2, and the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Now, we talked about that. There ain't no weeds growing yet. How come? There ain't no sin. Things ain't gone awry yet, but they're getting ready to in chapter 3. Uh, we're about to see that. So what does dress it and keep it mean? Well, I firmly believe by looking at the language that is written here, but as well understanding uh, the big picture of how the garden is, is pointing to the presence of God, the worship of God, the knowledge of God. It's sort of this um, early form of what the tabernacle or the temple would be. And the Bible talks about it over in Exodus, I believe, uh, about how uh, the tabernacle was to be a picture of the heavenlies that is already there. This is to be a place where God knew man and man knew God. Man could walk and have fellowship with God. But man can only do so when there is no sin. It, man can only have that fellowship with God, not only when there is no sin, but really when there is total obedience to God. Now, to dress and to keep it, I believe here that this is Adam's role and responsibility, first and foremost, is to simply obey and worship the Lord. If you and I were to even boil down our Christian walk and experience and everything that there is to be a Christian, it would be to obey God and to worship Him, to, to know Him, uh, to, to walk with Him. Because if we're going to walk with Him, that certainly means we're obeying Him, right? You, you cannot walk with Him and have fellowship with Him if there is no obedience by faith. Now, anyways, as we move forward in chapter 2, of course, there's uh, then the formation of of Eve and how they're united together and things are so good. And then we get to chapter 3 and, and Eve is beguiled by this wicked serpent and we have uh, dealt with this already in, in the early portion of verse number 6. We see the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, uh, and the pride of life there as, as she takes and she eats. But then she gives to her husband with her and he did eat. Now Adam's role on top of all of this 
was to be the prophet, priest, and king of the garden. Now, the reason why this is important, and we're going to be looking here, uh, we've referred to the, in, in the Scripture as Jesus being the true and greater prophet, priest, and king. Now, this is important. Adam, I believe, was certainly meant to do all three offices. However, Adam failed to do any of the three perfectly, whereas Christ did all three at one time, and he did so perfectly. Now, notice this. Throughout all the Bible, we find no one that operated as prophet, priest, and king at one time. You could be a king, but if you were king, you couldn't be priest. But if you were priest, you couldn't be king. If you were uh, a prophet, everybody hated you, right? Uh, so so th- things were, were quite different here. So how in the world do we get to such? Well, Jesus, who is the God-man, operates as the prophet, priest, and king eternally and perfectly, but Adam was designed to do so. Now, first of all, as a prophet, the prophet's role is not just to foretell the, the future events, right? Certainly that's what we think of when we think of a prophet, but a prophet is especially called to proclaim the truth of God's word to his own heart and as well to his wife's heart, Adam here, right? Now, the prophet in the Old Testament, they would proclaim to not necessarily their wife, but they would be proclaiming to God's chosen people, the nation of Israel or Judah, and, and proclaiming the truth of what God had said. They would cry out, thus saith the Lord. And now Adam, if he's operating as a prophet in God's kingdom here in this garden, well, who does he have to preach to? He has himself to preach to, and he has his wife to preach to. Now, what does he have to preach? He has to preach this. And the Lord God commanded the, the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. That, there's his message, right? This is the message that Adam is to preach to his own heart day in and day out. God is good. God has created. God has made this and given it to me to enjoy not only his creation, but to enjoy him as the creator. And I've got one rule. And if I disobey and I... Uh, choose to sin against him, then I will surely die. That's the whole message. Daily, even if you and I really understand this, that's our message to our own self every day. Obey the Lord and enjoy the Lord. Throughout the whole rest of the Old Testament, we find especially with the covenant given to Israel is that the people of Israel would only enjoy God's blessings, whether it be the land, whether it be their prosperity or their peace, freedom, whatever it might be, only and only if they obeyed the Lord. Now, Adam here is in, in, in sort of the same circumstance. He is required to give himself the message, but as well to give Eve the message that God told him in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. Ultimately, Adam is responsible for the truth. Now, this here gets us to, to this point, all right? For all you husbands out there tonight, you know what your first role in your home is? You are to be the priest of your home. You were to be the pastor of your home. I can't be a better pastor to your wife than you can. Right? She's your first ministry. My wife is my first ministry, my greatest ministry. The highest ministry that you've got in your life, in your walk with the Lord, is your spouse. Be the priest that she needs. Now, that does not mean that you lord over her and you tell her she's got to do X, Y, and Z in order to be spiritually or any of those things. That's not what that means. What it means to be the the priest of your home means that you lead those that are in your home to the Lord. You teach them what it means to obey God, to know God, to trust God, to walk with God, not just as an example, but with your words. It is the man's job in the home, the husband's job, the father's job in the home to to be such, to proclaim these truths. I grew up in in a household where those roles were reversed. 
My dad wanted nothing to do with church. He, he was uh, a clean and sober long before he met mom, praise God, but he was still a wretched heathen. All right? And he knew it. And he'd tell you that. He even looked it. <laughs> he still does. Uh, he's not here, but, but if he sees us, he, he knows it. <laughs> Nevertheless, he would do everything he could to get us to go to church. My mom was faithful in taking me to church. I, I credit so much my spiritual walk to my mom and later on to my dad after he got saved. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, my, my dad has done great things for the Lord, not because of who he is, but because of what God's done through him. But my mom is the one that committed to teach me the Bible and to take me to church. And I loved it because I knew that my mom cared about my spiritual being. And because when we went to church, we left after Sunday school and got Taco Bell. Church was great because of that. Amen. Right. I mean, it, I'm just being honest with you, right? There was a time when church wasn't just about church. Church was about getting the kids meal at Taco Bell, all right? Now, nevertheless, I say that because things changed in our home when my father got saved. Not just because he got saved and, oh, whew, good, now he'll come to church with us and he won't be such a, such a jerk. No. Now, granted, that was a part of it. The greatest thing that happened about his salvation is that then he fulfilled the role of which he was designed to do. Secondly, um, uh, he, he's to be uh, the prophet to preach. He's to be the priest. Now, he is to act as priest of Eden and Eve of his family. It is his job to keep both Eden and Eve pure before God so that all creation can perfectly enjoy the presence and fellowship of God. He's to proclaim the message to himself and to his wife. I don't know if he preached to the animals or not. He, there's no real need, but he might have. But, but certainly to remind himself daily of that truth as a prophet, but as priest to, to ensure that they go before the Lord properly and enjoy his presence. Uh, certainly what is implied is that they had a, a, a communion and a fellowship with God that was on a very deep level you know, to, to sort of walk with the Lord, to meet with the Lord in a way, right? Uh, and to, to know him. Uh, and so what happens is that he is to keep Eden, the tabernacle, pure. Now, if we look later on in the, in the Old Testament, uh, the role of the, of the priest, right? The prophet, he proclaimed the truth. But the, the priest, his job was to ultimately, at the end of the day, to make sure that nothing unclean went in to that tabernacle or that temple. The reason why is because to defile that, that's where God's presence dwelt. That's where God met with his people. So what is the garden like? It's the place where God meets with his people. Now, at this time, there's only... Two people, right? But nevertheless, that's where God meets with them. That is where his presence comes to, uh, to uh, enjoy the creation of what he's made so that his creation then can enjoy him as a creator. That is what truly, if we think about it, heaven is, is really all about. It's for God to be united with his creation that he has been, that he's reconciled through the blood of the Son, Jesus Christ, and that you and I who have been reconciled to him then can enjoy the greatest fellowship that there ever will be. And that will be with our Lord Jesus Christ forever and forever. The greatest fellowship that you and I have now in this world is still with the Lord. But right now it's at this sort of, sort of a, a distance, if you will. But there's going to be a day where we get to see him face to face. Now, as the priest, Adam fails as the priest by not spiritually protecting his wife. He allows her to become defiled which then in turn as well allows Eden to be defiled. Remember up to this point in chapter 2, verse 25, and they were both naked, right? That never changed. The man and his wife were not ashamed because there was no sin. There was a purity 
There was a holiness in their life. They lived rightly before the Lord. You say, well, they only had one rule. Well, yeah, well, they still later on broke it, didn't they? Because I believe that he failed to preach the truth daily to himself, to her, to make sure that she understood this truth and that he understood there in that moment. He looks and sees that she eats and then, well, well, I'll eat too. He fails as the prophet, but he fails as the priest and he allows this, this sin to come in and to corrupt what God had declared good. And that's exactly what sin does, isn't it? Sin takes on the, it, what God has as good, what God has as pure, what God has as holy. Sin comes in and goes and seeks to wreck and to devour and to deceive, to divide everything up. But then as well, here, excuse me, let me back up. Right? He, he not only fails as the priest by not spiritually protecting his wife, but our spouse's spiritual condition is very much on the line and we will give account, men. And I put that there for a reason, not just to sound like some sort of mean, harsh preacher towards men, but for my own self as well. I believe firmly that every husband and father must give account um, for how they live. Certainly everyone's going to give an account, right? Of course, we understand this. But I believe that us, right, we're the ones to lead the home, to lead our own heart before we even lead a home. Not only to lead the home, but to lead God's people, to lead the church, to to be led of the Lord, all these things. And I believe that there is a, a great responsibility with such. There is, think about this, right? To be the President of the United States, that'd be a big responsibility, wouldn't it? Right? I, I, I don't want that responsibility, okay? So don't, don't write me in, okay, if you ever think about it. <laughs> um, they got a high responsibility. But it's not as high a responsibility as being a good spouse still. You say, well, they're dealing with countries and nations and war. Well, in a marriage, you as well can deal with countries and nations and war, can't you? (laughs) Signing peace treaties. (laughs) Right? Uh, You think about this. But there is a, a greater depth here because we're talking about something eternal. We're talking about our spouse and our children's souls. We're talking about a legacy, not just of, oh man, granddad was a great guy, or, or pop, you know, my dad was a, a good godly man, but we're talking about leaving behind a legacy that not points to us, but points to Christ. That's ultimately what it's about. So he fails as this. He fails as well as the king. You say, how he was the king? Well, he was the king here. He was the one to rule over Eden, to name the animals, to keep the creation uh, pure, and, and to rule as as in this sort of uh, theocracy of which God was ruling in His creation through Adam. And it was designed for Adam to rule rightly and justly. And by the way, every person that God allows to be in leadership or authority is not to do so in their own way or own ideologies or even according to their own man-made constitutions. They are to do so according to God's law, rule, and standard. And so when we have the issues that we've had the past couple years, there are countless people who say, well, we've got to obey the government. Oh boy, this is not in the notes. Okay, all right. (laughs) There's a line, right? Those who God has allowed to be presidents, governors, mayors, in charge of school boards, they, at first and foremost and above all things, must conform not to the world's standards and laws, but to God's standards and laws. 
They are called to rule justly. And the only way that anyone in this world can rule justly is through and by the Word of God. Outside of it, man does that which is right in his own eyes. And to do so is to bring about an unrighteous rule, an unjust rule, where sin will be the one that rules and reigns amongst the people from the top down. And this is how societies as a whole throughout our our nation, but as well as throughout the world, have certainly gone. And so when God has allowed Adam to be king, he is not doing so to lord over with his own authority, but rather to submit to the Lord and his authority and to rule rightly and justly. He is to have rule and dominion over the creation as God had intended. Instead of driving out the serpent who spoke lies, he instead believed the lie. He fails to keep order and rule of his heart and his home, both in Eden and over Eve. This is why when the Bible talks about the qualifications of a pastor and deacon, it, it, it puts so plainly that it is absolutely critical and key to have rule over the home. It does not mean to lord over with a rod of iron, but rather to have control to make sure that we are teaching and operating as prophet, priest, and king over our home and, and to make sure that things are doing what God has designed and ordered and desires in our homes. Because as we've talked about over in chapter 2 especially, so as the home goes, so goes everything else. And so what we find here, as Adam goes, so goes the rest of us. Adam being the federal head of humanity here, as he goes, goes Eve, will go his children, We'll go his grandchildren. We'll go you and I. And we are facing the repercussions of someone who is called by God to obey God and instead disobeys God. And so what we find now in our own nation is people who are in authority, placed there and allowed there by the hand of the Lord himself, who disobey God and therefore lead a society that continues to do the same. But, little tidbit here. Jesus, the second Adam, the better Adam, is a true prophet. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one that preaches the truth. He is the, the message and the messenger. But he is as well the, the, the priest. As a matter of fact, the great high priest who stands before God and, and, and uh, brings us to God as the, the veil is torn, bringing about reconciliation. But he is as well not only the priest, but Jesus is the sacrifice, the very Lamb of God Himself. But Jesus is also the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And all that Jesus does, all that King Jesus does, is pure and just and right and holy. And no way, shape, or form will God Himself ever rule unjustly. And that's why we can trust Him. You see, as good as a politician you might ever vote for, you might trust them, you might hope that they're going to do well, but guess what? They will make a mistake, and probably many mistakes. But the great thing about the Lord's rule over all of His creation is that He does everything right. He doesn't need our permission to do so. He, he does all things rightly because it's who He is. He will not go against His nature or His character. And here's the second portion, His silence. Adam's silence is key here. It's something that is often forgotten, maybe overlooked, or, or maybe misunderstood. And she took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now, if we were just looking, just on the surface, where is Adam? 
I believe that Adam is not off doing his own thing. I believe that Adam is right there. All right, and I want to look at this. Okay, and if you disagree, that's okay. We can agree to disagree on this. Okay. I believe Adam is there for a couple of reasons. One, first of all, I want to give to you. Um, this is a quote by Larry Crabb, but I want to recommend his his writing called uh, "Men of Courage." Um, it is great for any man who wants to understand their manhood a little bit better and about how to properly communicate and to operate as God has designed us to. But I believe it also will help wives in understanding why your husband is as hard-headed as he is. Okay? All right? Um, it, it's a challenging read, but it's a very easy and, and devotional, devotional read. Dr. Larry Crabb, he writes, Where was Adam when the serpent tempted Eve? The Bible says that after Eve was deceived by Satan, she took of the forbidden fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. Emphasis added. And he ate, Genesis 3, 6. Was Adam there the whole time? Was he standing right next to his wife while the serpent tricked her with his cunning? Was he there listening to every word? If he was, and there is good reason to think so, then a big question must be asked, why didn't he say anything? I, the reason why I say it like that is because he's got all bold there. But you have your thought about that? If Adam is there, why doesn't he say anything? How about this? Maybe break it down for something like this. Um, standing in line at the grocery store, and somebody gets hateful with your, with your wife, right? They get ugly. Maybe even give a little nudge or a push. Husbands? <laughs> Not everything's worth going to jail over, right? <laughs> I get that. But it's going to be on like Bing Bong, right? It's going to be on, on like Donkey Kong. I, it, I mean, something's getting said here, right? You might say right, wrong, right? Passion not to be a brawler. That's fine. I ain't got a brawl, right? <laughs> Jiu-jitsu, baby, right? <laughs> now, you think about this. You're, you're going to want to defend your wife's honor, aren't you? You're going to want to protect her. Not only do you want to provide for her, but you want to protect her. If Adam is right there and hears the serpent deceiving her and spreading lies, not only should he have defended the honor of his wife and to protect her soul, but he should have said, oh, oh, Jack, that's not what God said. I was here first, and that's not what God said. Right? He was looking for a stone to throw at the snake? <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I think he probably should have. He probably should have grabbed a limb off a tree and got to whooping. But here's what happens. As we look through here, the plain, the plain reading of English or Hebrew shows us that Adam was there with his wife and failed as a man, husband, and the federal head of the human race. I want to give to you a little bit of detail about this. In the original Hebrew, the connecting ands, those word ands, indicate a running narrative with what has gone before and after and not a huge time delay with Eve going off to find her husband several hours afterwards, right? I think a lot of times, let me pause there, a lot of us in our minds, or, or maybe even kids Sunday school, we kind of think, there's Eve, and there's the snake, and there's the tree, and then she's like, ooh, look at that, and he's like, yeah, you should eat it, right? God didn't really say that. She eats, and then she goes, that tastes really good. Let me take a few, and I'm going to go find my husband. La, 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 right? She goes to find Adam. Adam, you've got to try this fruit. It's delicious. And he goes, where'd you get it from? She goes, that, it's, there's a tree. Just try it. It's so good. You want it. I'm telling you. And he goes, oh, okay, well, I'll eat the, right? I don't believe that's the case at all here. Based on the English reading, but if you especially do dive into the Hebrew, it certainly alludes to this. It, it shows that this is boom, boom, boom. It, it's, it's like an immediate, right? 
If, you, if I have this and someone is with me and I hand it to them, that means they are with me. Right? It's pretty simple that way. Continues on here. It could have said she gave to her husband later, but it doesn't. Literally, the Hebrew reads, and she took from its fruit and she ate and she gave also to her man and with her and he ate. Furthermore, the word with implies joint action as indicated in its dictionary entry in the authoritative Hallett Hebrew lexicon. All right. So in the Hebrew dictionary, this is literally what's de- dealing with. It is, shows a communal action or action in company. Backing up a bit, it is interesting to note that in each of verses 1 through 5 of Genesis 3, whilst the conversations between the woman and the serpent, all the statements are you and we. One thing the King James Version did have right, irrespective of its added punctuation, which, by the way, there is no punctuation in the Bible until man makes the Bible and puts punctuation. Okay, same with chapters, all right? So, so hold on, you're okay, all right? But this was an obvious distinction between the you singular and you plural. Throughout these verses, it is ye, not thou. And so it appears the serpent was talking about both Adam and Eve, if not to both Adam and Eve. Eve may have been deceived, but she silently gave to Adam, who without comment ate. Crab continues in this. He says, there are four reasons why we believe Adam was present at the temptation. One, his silence fits the immediate context in Genesis 1. Two, Genesis 3, 6 says he was there. Three, the style of the entire account recorded suggests Eve turned immediately to Adam and gave him the fruit. And four, other men in Genesis lived out the age-old problem of Adam's silence, suggesting that his silence became a pattern in his male descendants. Now, we'll address that in just a moment here. But if Adam is there, and Adam being there changes everything, doesn't it? Because right? there's plenty that I've heard who say, well, it's Eve's fault because she ate first. First of all, Adam is the head. He's the one that represents not just Adam and Eve as a, as a family, but he represents all of humanity in this. But what this means is that Adam failed to love God because he didn't obey God. To not obey God really shows us how much we really do love the Lord, by the way. How much we really trust Him. Second, he failed to be led of God. Right there in that moment, he knows what God has already said. And instead of being led by the words of God, he is instead led by the words of his wife that says, take and eat. It does not matter if it's our wife or anyone in this world. If it goes against what God has said, we, we must not do so. We, this is the importance of God's word. This sets the parameters of our homes and our hearts are to believe and operate. It shows that he failed as well to love his wife. Right? Okay. You say he's provided for her. He's allowed her and shown her around the garden a little bit. He didn't protect her, though. And by the way, that garden was already there. <laughs> and the garden got made and Adam got placed in the garden. Adam does not provide and protect her as he was designed and called to do so by God. He does not love her as Christ loved the church. He allows her to be deceived, to go through this process. And it shows as well that he failed to lead his wife. It was his job and role to lead her, but instead, she led him. She took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. 
If it's good enough for her, well, I guess it's good enough for me. Willful, though, obedience of both parties. But the willful obedience of Adam would bring about sin and death to all of humanity and would send the creation itself into a downward spiral. Now, as Dr. Crabb addressed at the end of that last quote that we dealt with, that Adam's silence continues a sort of age-old problem for men. And it's seen throughout the rest of these descendants of Adam and throughout Genesis. As we go through Genesis, I'm going to try to point this out for you. There are many times throughout Genesis and throughout the Old Testament where the man of God, and I'm talking about a prophet or a preacher, but I'm talking about men who knew God were meant to speak up the Word of God and what God desires, what God declares, and and, and what God wants for His home and all these things, and, and instead... Don't. We'll see that in the life of Abraham. God's going to use Abraham mightily. But his wife and him want a baby. They're wanting God's promise, right? God said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations, right? More than the stars, more than the sand. But the baby ain't come yet. And now they're old. So old that they can't have kids. But his wife has a plan. Take my handmaid. Abraham. Uh, yes, dear? Right, think about that. Best answer Abraham probably could have had was, God said it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Now, this isn't blasphemous to talk about Abraham in such a way. It's simply showing that this is a pattern for men. And if you want further proof, men, right, and there's only a few of us here tonight, how many of us are very willing to go to our spouse and pour out our emotions, our frustrations, our issues, and say, I'm really struggling. I need, your, I need you to pray for me. Or I'm, I need to get this right in my life. Or something's happening. There's some friction there between husband and wife. And instead, what happens is the husband, instead of dealing with that issue like the serpent in the garden and should have whacked that thing on the head, instead we let things keep talking in our mind. We let things continue to stew. We let anger take over and turn into frustration and all these things. And we get quiet. And we don't deal with the issue. The issue's still there. We stay quiet and it keeps building up and building up and building up. And then there's the explosion. Boom. Whoever's there, we let them have it. Think about how many arguments, maybe even on the other side of that, either spouse for that matter has done such where there's a lack of communication where there's something that has gone awry in the communicating process between husband and wife, or, or, or even amongst kids, coworkers, whatever it might be, and instead of dealing with the issue and communicating about the issue, we shut down, we lock up the emotions, we stew about it on our own, we won't say nothing about it, and then, boom, we lash out. We react, we don't respond, and there's the difference. Reacting to our emotions or to the situation, not responding, through proper communication and understanding. Now you say, well, that's for sissies. Well, is it? See, God designed men to speak and to lead and to talk, not to be quiet while the world around them goes into chaos. Adam wasn't living in a chaotic environment, was he? He was living in a place of peace. Things were perfect in the garden. What brought about chaos was disobeying God and staying silent when he should have spoken and told the serpent where to go and told his wife what God had said and told his own heart 
No. And as we study Genesis, we're going to see more of that, but we're going to see more of it in our own lives. Crabb also writes, God appeared front and center on the scene in Genesis 1 and spoke to transform a wasteland into paradise. Remember this? And the earth was without form and void, darkness upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. God takes and creates, speaks. Adam, on the other hand, disappeared. His sin began with his silence. He was designed to speak, but he said nothing. He listened to the serpent. He listened to his wife. He accepted the fruit, and then he ate. Adam was passive three times before he ate the forbidden fruit. God's speaking brought creation out of chaos. Adam's silence brought chaos back to creation. Remember that God used language to establish relationship? Adam used silence to destroy relationship. God rested after his creative work. Adam labored harder as a result of his silence. Adam ruined paradise by failing to do something. Adam, the image bearer, did not reflect his God because he chose to be absent, silent, and forgetful of God's command. Husbands, fathers, men, you were designed to love and to lead your spouse and your home. You were designed to create life, not just physically, but spiritually, emotionally, uh, to, to bring life, to bring order. It's not bring about chaos or distractions or, or division. You were designed to speak the truth, but to do so in love, not to stay silent. Sometimes men take the silent road in order to keep the peace but there's nothing that brings the peace more than when we speak the truth of what God has already established and ordered. And we do so in our own hearts first. Because most of the time, the problem in our relationships is not the other person. It's normally our own heart or our own communication breakdown issue. Sadly, when men do not speak, it is often as vicious as the serpent and not as God who brings about life. We bring death, destruction, and division with our words. James chapter 3 tells us how much words really matter. James 3 describes this. He says in verse 3, Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold, also the ships which, though they be so great, are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body that setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on the fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds, of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed the blessing and cursing my brethren. These things ought not be so. Doth the fountain send forth at the same time, play, at, at the same place, sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. We were meant to speak that which God has, has given, the truth of God's word. Yet our tongues are often used for evil. Either our tongues stay still and are silent when they should speak, 
Or our tongues flap so quick and so viciously that they spew venom and death. Most problems in any relationship, whether it's husband, wife, co-worker, boss, whatever it might be, boils down to communication. And if there's something that most of us as men, and women for that matter, have a tough time with is communicating. Because we both communicate in different ways. Everybody likes communication in different ways. Some like the communication of, of touch or affirmation. Some like, leave me alone. <laughs> That's their communication. Or write me a note or put it on a marker board or something. But mankind as a whole, male and female, were designed to communicate. Designed to communicate to God. Designed to communicate to each other. But it has to be done so properly and biblically. See, to be a man is to love God, to love her wife. To be led of God, to lead her home. It is to communicate the truth of God inwardly in our own heart, outwardly to our spouse and to our home and to those around us, and upwardly to our Heavenly Father in fellowship and communication with Him. So His sin, He did eat. By his own lust. Instead of leading, he was led. Instead of speaking, he was silent. And even though he was there, his mind or his heart, or possibly even both, were absent. Adam's failures here, and we'll be done tonight. He fails as an image bearer by not reflecting the character of God. What was Adam ultimately designed to do? To obey God, to bear his image to live a holy before Him, to keep Himself in the garden and His wife pure before the Lord, to simply walk, to simply know God, and to make Him known in His creation. Two, He fails as the creature by openly disobeying God's unmistakable and direct commands. Both Eve and Adam, and the serpent for that matter, know what God expects and requires, and that's obedience. Perfect obedience. What is sin? Imperfect obedience. It's missing the mark. It's disobeying. It's going our own will in way. Third, he fails as the first Adam to keep the garden pure. Four, he fails as the first husband to keep his wife and home from sin. To keep his home intact. To keep his home in order. To keep his own heart in order. Five, he fails as the federal head of humanity, which plunges all of mankind into sin, which brings about death. <clears throat> However, and this is where we'll end tonight. Though Adam failed, Jesus succeeded. The second and greater Adam has accomplished redemption upon the cross to speak life, order, and light to all who would believe on him. Romans 5 tells us this. In verse number 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned among the, uh, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one... Many be dead, Adam. Much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by 
one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So here's where we end tonight. Jesus is greater. He is the prophet, the priest, and king. And where Adam failed, Christ has succeeded in perfect obedience to His heavenly Father all the way to the cross, all the way to the empty tomb, all the way to His home where He rules from on high, making intercession for you and us and for you and I, and where he will one day come back for his people again to reunite us, to make things and restore things as they were meant to be. We find this great truth as well. And this is what we're going to get into next week as we continue studying Genesis. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. What we're going to find in the rest of chapter 3 is that the very moment that we see chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 6, and he did eat, what should have taken place, Adam and Eve both should have been sent to hell. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Because they deserved it. Disobeyed God. Just one disobedience. One act of sin goes against God's law, His rule, His holiness. But instead what we find, God comes to make it right. God preaches the gospel that there's a coming Savior. God then graciously clothes them though they were naked before Him as a beautiful picture that though our sin abounds, grace abounds even more. There's a song that says, Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. So tonight, this as well gives us hope. That though us as men, we fail. Us, well, y'all as women, <laughs> no, ain't us, I ain't us. <laughs> y'all as women, fail. We as people fail God. Our roles, our responsibilities, our jobs, just daily in our heart, obeying the Lord in all things. But grace is there. Jesus is there offering His grace to all who would believe and simply trust in Him, and His grace will never run out. His blood will never stop being sufficient. Jesus is enough, not only to save us, but to keep us saved, and to one day, even though we have sinned, even after we're saved, and we'll continue to do so until we put off this mortal body. Christ will make it right. And we can long and look forward to that day where one day we get to walk with the Lord as Adam and Eve once got to. What a day that will be. Where we will walk before Him sinless. We will walk before Him and never fail Him again. I don't know what that's like right now. I'm looking forward to that.
Let's pray. God, we love you. Grateful for your word. Grateful for your grace that abounds. Lord, we're thankful that we can study your word and to see the failure, not just of Adam and Eve, but Lord, of our own selves. God, we fail in the same ways. Lord, we're, we're not so different. Lord, sin is sin, disobedience is disobedience. But Lord, you call us to obey you, to trust you, to walk by faith, not by sight. Help us do so daily, Lord. Um, God, I pray that you would stir within our hearts and meet the need of every heart and, and home in here tonight. And God, that we would um, truly take the, the responsibility of, of being your image bearers seriously and your ambassadors in this world seriously. God, that we would be used of you. And Lord, that you would uh, strengthen us, encourage us, meet our needs. And, and God, that you would be glorified uh, amongst your people and through your people. Lord, we... Thank you for this time once more and go with us now in Jesus name. Amen. Y'all have